اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar Angelis, and God willing, we will be with you all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And you can hit us up on our socials on X, formerly known as Twitter, and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, if you're familiar with the Tuesday Breakfast Show, uh, you'll know that we usually speak about three main topics um, after the roundup uh, of the news But today, uh, we're going to be speaking about just two, um, simply because of uh, how how important they are and uh, how much information there is uh, in in regards to these that we would like to share with you. So um, the, the topics for you today are shaping tomorrow's future insights into the 54th World Economic Forum and the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the perfect prophet for every era. So if you would like to get involved in any one of these discussions, then please feel free to do so. The number for you as always is 0208-687-7878. And remember, this is your radio station and we do love for you to get involved. Uh, so uh, do pick up the phone and voice your opinion on here. Um, before we uh, get into these, obviously we do address uh, the news um, and the weather and everything as well. So, uh, But before doing so, Jalees, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah Almighty, I'm doing well. Uh, of course, nowadays, um, as everyone may be aware, it is really cold outside. Um, I did feel it today quite a lot, especially on my way here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's minus five right now, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's much uh, colder than it has been in the last uh, couple of days or weeks even. But uh, but yeah, it's just something that we're going to have to get get used to, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What's the uh, what's the weather looking like for the whole of uh, England uh, going up to about fr- Friday, Saturday or so? Yeah, so t- today will be a cold day with thick cloud, wintry showers and longer spells of rain. Sleet and snow spreading eastwards across northern areas. These heavy in places, mostly dry and sunny in the south. Tonight, periods of snow across much of Scotland this evening will spread south eastwards and become patchier. But snow showers will remain in the far north, variable cloud and mainly dry in the south. Moving on to Wednesday, which is tomorrow, coastal areas of northern Scotland and Northern Ireland will see further snow showers, small risk of sleet or snow early on in far southern England, dry with plenty of sunshine elsewhere. An outlook for Thursday to Saturday, we see fine and dry for most through Thursday, but with patchy cloud and scattered snow showers continuing for some coastal areas and north of Scotland. Breezy in northern areas, Friday will be mainly dry and sunny for most. A few snow showers containing in the north west these turning back in rain uh, back to rain later saturday will return to a milder and wet 
windy conditions. Um, so, of course, as we can see for the next couple of days, uh, we uh, we have a, a lot of um, you know wind, rain, some sleet, snow as well. Uh, cold, cold, cold weather to to carry on for another couple of days. So, of course, it is that time to to take out your gloves if you haven't already, or gloves and scarves, and uh, you know wrap yourselves up. Yeah, no, no, most certainly, most certainly, it definitely is that time of uh, of year now. Um, Getting into the newspaper headlines, uh, Prime Minister faces rebellion and uh, Houthis hit U.S. cargo ship. So a number of the papers today uh, lead on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's attempts to get his Rwanda bill through Parliament. The proposal legislation would declare Rwanda a safe country and allow the deportation of the UK's asylum seekers there to go ahead. The Daily Telegraph says two of the Conservative Party's deputy chairmen, Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark, uh, Brendan Clark Smith, sorry, have said they will rebel over parts of the bill and that they have signed amendments to toughen the legislation. The paper calls it a direct challenge, quote-unquote, to Mr. Sunak's authority and says the pair are, quoted, uh, effectively challenging the prime minister to sack them from their party posts. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sunak has said the bill will, uh, would enable him to defy the will of European judges, quote-unquote, where the European Court of Human Rights to try to block future deportations, according to the Daily Express. The paper says the Prime Minister faces a turbulent 48 hours trying to secure Tory support, quote-unquote, for the bill, but has insisted it is, and I quote, the toughest piece of migration legislations that anyone's ever seen. The Daily Mail describes Mr. Anderson's decision to rebel over the bill as a major blow, quote-unquote, to the Prime Minister, and says it comes despite strenuous efforts by Downing Street to keep him on board, quote-unquote. It uh, adds that uh, MPs on the right of the Tory party have gone so far as to say that they would help Labour vote the bill down unless the measures in it are strengthened. Mm-hmm. The Prime Minister plans to fast-track migrant appeals against deportation as part of a SOP, uh, quote-unquote, to st- uh, stave off the rebellion, the Times reports. The paper says the government would speed up the process by drafting in 150 extra judges who would be paid to sit during evenings and weekends and freeing up more courtrooms to hear cases. It says nearly 60 MPs look to join the rebellion, though adds that Mr. Sunak is expected to defy, quote-unquote, them and refuse to make concessions because any changes would delay the bill by the least a week, by at least a week. The I reports that 47 asylum seekers who were supposed to be on the first deportation flight to Rwanda, which has left, uh, which has stopped by a last-minute ruling from the ECHR, are still living in hotels 18 months later. It describes them as having been left in legal limbo by the Home Office, quote-unquote. The head of the National Audit Office has told the Financial Times that the government could save at least £20 billion a year by modernising IT systems, tackling fraud and getting grip on failing mega-projects. Gareth Davies was speaking to the paper ahead of an annual speech to Parliament uh, set to be delivered on Tuesday. It says he painted a picture of a state 
buffeted by Brexit, COVID and the war in Ukraine, as well as, and I quote, out-of-date IT, crumbling infrastructure and growing maintenance uh, backlogs. He also says that the projects, he also says that projects like HS2 or large hospital builds should be taken out of the hands of individual government departments. Uh, And I quote, where these projects reach uh, tens of billions of pounds over several parliaments, the overspend risk is so big. They can't be handled within a department budget, he says. The Guardian leads with an attack on an American-owned container ship by Yemen's Iran-backed Houthi rebels in the Gulf of Aden, uh, part of a major shipping channel which connects to the Red Sea on Monday. It comes after after US and UK strikes on Houthi positions in response to previous attacks on Red Sea shipping last week. The paper says the attack represented a widening of the theatre of war beyond the Red Sea, quote-unquote, and will add to fears that the strikes have not degraded the militia group's ability to threaten commercial shipping, quote-unquote. An independent review into the Rockdale grooming scandal has found that police and council failures left girls at the mercy of paedophile gangs, according to the Metro. The paper says that the, the paper says there was a failure to act on compelling evidence, quote-unquote, of exploitation by gangs of mainly Afghan and Pakistani men between 2004 and 2012, and that the report, uh, and that the report reveals a series of horrifying failures amid undif- un- underfunded, low-priority investigations, uh, quote-unquote. It adds that 96 men deemed a risk to children are still free. Wow. The Daily Mirror says that uh, royal insiders are quietly celebrating, quote-unquote, after a new book claims to reveal that the Queen was angered by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's decision to name their daughter Lilibet, a nickname of the late monarch. Harry and Meghan have previously claimed that the Queen supported the move. The book alleges that the Queen responded to the news by saying, the only thing I own is my name. They've taken that, quote-unquote. Annie Kilner, the estranged wife of Manchester City and England star Kyle Walker, is six months pregnant with their fourth child, according to The Sun. The paper reported last week that Kilner had left uh, had left Walker, with whom she was uh, she has three children, after finding out he had fathered a second child by another woman. And the Daily Star carries a warning that the cold weather hitting the country will cause a pie-eating frenzy, quote-unquote. The paper says that uh, gorging on fatty grub as the big freeze grips Britain will turn us into lardy bums, quote-unquote. Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it is cold, but I don't think uh, I'm going to be uh, entering a f- uh, pie-eating frenzy. <laughs> will, will you, please? No, of, of, uh, of course. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do I do try to look at the calories I consume. And, uh, of course, it does seem that, uh, of course, when you do start them eating pie and getting used to it, then it is quite difficult to, to stop. So... Uh, but it is quite interesting to know that a lot of people are thinking like this as well and maybe taking part in such competitions. Mm. Um, getting straight into the topics for today, just a reminder for you: we're talking about shipping's uh, uh, shipping. Uh, sorry, shaping uh, tomorrow's future. Uh, insights uh, into the fifty-fourth World Economic Forum. 
Um, and in the second hour after the 8 o'clock news, we're going to be addressing um, and speaking about the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and how he was the perfect prophet for every era. So these are the two topics for today. Um, if you do want to get involved, then remember you can always do so. This is your radio station and we do love for you to voice your opinion on it. So uh, whether it's on our social media, on X or on, Twitter, or on uh, Instagram at Voice of Islam UK or if you want to uh, get involved and uh, with the discussion and um, let the whole world listen to your voice as well then by all means do so 0208-687-7878 Shaping Tomorrow's Future uh, well, the 54th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum is set to take place in Davos from 15th to 19th January 2024. Um, the World Economic Forum, WEF, is a non-profit organization committed to improving the state of the world by bringing together leaders from various sectors, including government, business, academia and civil society, to collaborate on global issues. According to the WEF, the theme for this year is rebuilding trust. The overarching uh, goal is to facilitate connections in an increasingly complex environment and provide foresight by incorporating the latest advancements in science, industry and society. Normally, the discussions at the annual meeting cover a wide range of topics, including economics, geopolitics, uh, geopolitics, technology and societal issues. And in addition to the annual meeting in Davos, the WEF engages in various initiatives and projects throughout the year, addressing issues such as climate change, global health, education and economic development. The organization aims to foster public-private cooperation and provide a platform for leaders to discuss and address pressing global challenges. So it's a very um, uh, interesting. Uh, it's very interesting to see what happens in these meetings, and they do address some very important topics as well, mm-hmm. um, like we've just mentioned as well. But Jalees, uh, uh, what is the purpose of the World Economic Forum, and and what is the importance of the theme, rebuilding trust, which they've uh, uh, d- uh, um, specialized for for this year? Yeah, of course. Like you mentioned, it's very important to know this. And and like you mentioned, the WEF is an international non-governmental organization for public-private sector collaboration. It discusses um, political business and, and, you know, everything that you mentioned as well. And it was established in uh, 1971. The uh, non-profit foundation strives to to demonstrate um, the entrepreneurship in, in, in the in the global public interest while, while upholding the highest standards of, of governance. Um, the purpose now of this forum is to serve as as a platform for the international community uh, for discussions on a wide range of uh, topics, including economic trends, uh, technological developments, uh, environmental issues and, and social concerns. Uh, each year, again, a theme is, is put forward to centralize the the discussion on 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 one main topic and and this year the theme is like you mentioned rebuilding trust which aims to provide the crucial space to step back uh, focus on the fundamental principles um you know driving trust uh, including transparency uh, consistency and of course accountability and uh, it has been broken down into four subcategories and and the first 
of course, is achieving security and cooperation in a fractured world. Right? The second is, is creating growth and jobs for a new era. And the third is artificial intelligence as a driving force for the economy and, and society. And of course, the fourth being a long-term strategy for climate, uh, nature and energy. Now, trust, as we understand, is uh, twofold. So trust in one's abilities and trust in external people or factors. It is a it is a a, a fundamental, uh, a important and, and fundamental belief in the reliability, uh, honesty, and integrity of a person, system, or or entity. You know, this theme of of uh, rebuilding trust is important uh, in the world today because most of uh, most issues, in fact, that that individuals face are not in in isolation. For example, now we have climate change. You know, which is a global issue, and it, it requires every government across the globe to 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 take accountability for their actions and reduce the excessive release of of greenhouse gases. For example, um, China, the, the 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 USA, and and India produce the most CO two per year. But when we look at countries like like Chad or, or Somalia and and Syria, they suffer the the, the most detrimental consequences. So. This is now looking at this, we see that rebuilding trust and assurance that every country will work to reduce the effects of the greenhouse gases is is vital in this day and age. And hence, that's where, you know, rebuilding trust uh, comes into play. And furthermore, uh, fundamental human rights apply to all individuals across the globe. However, there are millions who who are not afforded this right due to the the uh, gender or ethnicity. This inequality creates distrust amongst uh, individuals and builds uh, resentment across communities. This is why the theme of rebuilding trust is in this day and age is is, is important and 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 you know it's incredibly important in fact. Um, and of course. This is uh, why um, when we look at the Islamic teachings, when we, we see what Islam says about uh, trust, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's of course, it's an important part of Islam, uh, Islam as well, isn't it, Samar? Yes, most certainly. And we, we will be addressing that in just a short while, as well as uh, some of the initiatives of the uh, World Economic Forum and the themes uh, that they've been talking about and addressing uh, over there as well. But before we do so, we do have with us on the line our first guest for the show, Dr. Carla Benaina, uh, who's an author, academic and strategic consultant with more than 20 years of experience in innovation, digital platforms and sustainable development. She is a regular advisor to governments, startups, impact investors and international organizations on these issues, um, including data and AI. And she's considered a Latin American expert. Um, a, a, she's a PhD graduate from the London School of Economics is currently Associate Professor um, at uh, Surrey Business School. She's a founding member of the Surrey Centre of Digital Economy and also a fellow at the University of Surrey People Centred AI Institute. Assalamualaikum. Good morning. Peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you very much. Pleasure. You're very welcome and thank you for being with us today. Um, we're talking about a very interesting topic, um, shaping tomorrow's future insights into the uh, 54th World Economic Forum. And we've seen that they have some very interesting themes and topics that they address over there. Um, the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was in the world today, 
what exactly do we mean by a digital government and how do we do you perceive its role in driving international development the the, the sort of key opportunities or challenges um what what are they that they present great um thank you um you know digital government or the concept has been on the agenda as a society of government and government leaders for a, for a while now um, and in simple terms, you can consider the use of digital technologies as an integrated part of government's modernization efforts or modernization strategies um, with the aim of delivering what's so-called public value, right? Mm-hmm. So in simple terms, is to make better governments using um, digital technologies. Um, when you put towards, I mean, this in, in the context of international development, well, we see that a lot of governments face very, you know, important challenges, including, for example, a lack of government transparency, uh, associated lack of trust, exactly what you were talking, you know, recently on, on, on the green economy, uh, citizens or businesses uh, that lack access to perhaps efficient public services that need to either, you know, uh, comply with, with um uh, responsibilities or access to you know services and even you know another very big uh, challenge especially in in less developed countries has to do with the lack of capacity within governments um, and their ecosystems uh, to process data uh, or or actually to grasp right digital technologies so I guess that the main challenge you know, it's also an opportunity to make better governments with more affordable Mm -hmm. technologies, uh, including, of course, the internet and and mobile technologies and a lot of algorithms and and, and a lot of AI at the moment or big data. But I would say that the main challenge is that in order to fully embrace digital government, um, there is a need to transform practices, underbidding processes, and the relationship of citizens and business alike. I'm saying this because for many governments, and you know, I worked with them and for a long time, Latin America, but also in, in a more global context, uh, including you know, in the UK, uh, you may see very fancy technologies and, and a rush to adopt them, um, but they won't deliver the benefits if you don't put your house in order or you redesign processes, right? Mm-hmm, most certainly. I, I mean, you mentioned uh, algorithms and the, and the, the economic <laughs> benefits, isn't it, of, of AI. H- how do you think we can actually balance these benefits of AI with the need to address potential ethical concerns such as uh, bias in algorithms and the impact on uh, employment as well? This is at the heart of the all discourses and you know, we, we saw this over um, in the AI summit here held in the UK, everything seems to be around AI, and there is you know a lot of this discourse on the huge potential, and a lot of what's happening in, in Davos this week will 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 precisely touch upon that. Mm-hmm. How we can balance that? We know that increasingly, also in the public domain, uh, there is this need to balance you know these these complex uh, challenges. A lot of that at the moment is, okay, how we regulate AI. Mm -hmm. The European uh, Union just passed a very um, important regulation there. There are others uh, in the making, the UK, uh, countries around the world. I would say that the only way forward is precisely to understand better what's happening here, 
right? Yeah. Um, we need more empathy. We need uh, a lot of different multiple stakeholders uh, to, to get together to understand what's going on. It's very little people managing this, understanding this, making promises, and not so much clarity on, on how, how we can <clears throat> stop, for example, the, the harms or, or the very big risk that we see um, upcoming, right? Yeah, no, no, most, most certainly. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it is a, it is, it is definitely a challenge, and there does need to be representation as well. Um, there, there, there was a statistic uh, in which uh, it shows that there's only a, a very small minority of people uh, who, who, um, who, who are represented uh, in in the actual forum from 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 different. Um, um, from from different backgrounds, who 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 might be able to assist, and even the the the, I think there's a bit of a gender equality as well. I think you're something like only twenty four percent of the um, the members are are women in the in the actual program as well. So there there are obviously definitely some good things happening, but maybe a bit more of a wider um, perspective could also be uh, um, appreciated as well. Um, Absolutely. But also, yes. yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I know one of the main concerns for me are, you know, you can summarize it in three main aspects. For AI to work, it relies on data, right? Yeah. And we know that there is a big data divide. The, the, the types of examples that you put recently are very bland, you know, in terms of gender, um, of course, race, but nations. Um, so, so, of course, one of the, the big problems here is that um, for the system and, and amazing technologies or algorithms to work, we know that there are big data disparities, right? So, mm. so what these systems are going to work for, right? Also, we know the second bit, right, that, that is also concerning to me, there are huge costs. And, and investments and, and infrastructure um, divide that we see, you know, globally, the cost of, for processing this data and therefore for AI to work are huge. So we also know that, you know, only China, the, the states concentrate 50% of the world data centers, for example, or more than 90% of the funding in AI-related startups was precisely concentrated on these two countries, right? Mm. So. The concentration of infrastructure, skills, capabilities, well, you're not going to be surprised that it is, of course, translated in an agenda that you see these days. And, and, and the third one is the concentration of, of this uh, power in very few digital corporations. When you look around, the, the most you know, powerful uh, or, or most you know, valued companies of today's world are all digital classrooms. Mm. Um, they all rely on AI and, and data and, and, of course, um, algorithms. So this idea of, you know, um, the debates of people being manipulated or, or, or you know, I, I pose this question and, and a lot of these readings to my students that they think, oh, no, we're autonomous um, human beings. Um, but actually, I think when you're not able to distinguish how much you are, and able to be manipulated, then you're the easiest <laughs> to be manipulated by yeah. algorithms, uh, recommendation engines. And you know these are these are powerful uh, platforms that are governing uh, today's economies, societies, and so on. So we need much more 
critical appraisals and representations of, of you know of what the future and the present I would say of, of this AI driven economy is affording uh, for all, not just for a few. Yeah, no, no, definitely, I couldn't agree more. And there, there are so many maybe different challenges as well um, especially obviously you've done a lot of extensive research into Latin America as well um, in develop, uh, developing and implementing machine learning projects in the region and and things of that sort as well um, just just quickly we are we are running sort of short of time um, but what do you think are maybe some of the these um, these difficulties or the challenges and um, are there currently any ideas or projects underway to address these kind of issues yeah, great. So I guess just uh, related to these three things that I mentioned, when you look into the developing economies, you yeah. know, of course, the, the data died, the lack of infrastructure, uh, and, and I think it's amplified this risk of, you know, precisely deepening more the inequalities that we already see. Um, the good news is that for AI to work and any digital technology to work, it has to be deployed in the context with a, with a clear problem. Uh, in mind, and and these are things that are better, you know, uh, developed by by local understandings, right? So um, I came, you know, I went to the region recently, and there was a very very interesting project that local, you know, actually uh, female uh, data scientists and and are developing. That is basically an algorithm that that helps to understand how gender based violence um, operates in 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 Argentina, for example. So. Uh, there is a lot of capacity in terms of data science. I think it's better grasped when you understand the local context, when you understand the, the local problems, instead of trying to, you know, simply import uh, a well-known uh, system um, that is that is being deployed, you know, in in, in a global north context. So issues of, as I said, gender-based violence, uh, health, uh, open justice. Um, these are all interesting developments that, that are also promises very, very good opportunities. But again, it's key to really understand the context. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly, and, and it's it's essential to to, to under, uh, for, for for this uh, uh, for to have this understanding so that we can better. Uh, the situation uh, globally as well. Um, thank you, Dr. Carla Benaina, for, for, for being with us, for answering our questions, sharing your insight uh, in regards to this very important topic, and especially um, in the Latin American uh, region as well. Uh, thank you once again, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you very much. Likewise. Peace be upon you. Bye-bye. Yeah. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. That was Dr. Carla Benina, uh, who's an author, academic and strategic consultant with more than 20 years of experience in innovation, digital platforms and sustainable development. Uh, also a regular advisor to governments, startups, impact investors uh, and international organizations on such uh, issues of uh, data and AI as well. Um, there's some very interesting things which uh, we can see from the Islamic perspective as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about trust. We've been talking about justice. Well, this is a is such a huge part within Islam. The Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that a believer could possess all other bad habits apart from telling falsehood and treachery. He enjoined not to betray the trust of one who has betrayed your trust. 
and he taught to give advice carelessly is also actually a betrayal of trust. I mean, that, that's very interesting, isn't it? When we see uh, a lot of times, I mean, there's, there's so many memes and videos, like funny, funny videos on this as well, that uh, um, like a friend goes to a friend and he, he, he gives him advice um, and says whatever he's thinking, right, and, and tries to help out. But at the end of the day, he's, he, at the end of the conversation, sorry, he, he ends it by saying, well, it's your choice. I, I don't know, right? Mm. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 this shows us that we shouldn't just be giving um, sort of uh, um, this blind advice in which, we, which we're not really taking into account how the other individual is feeling or what they're going through. And rather, we just say well, the the first thing that comes to our minds and, and think that it might be of some use. But the Holy Prophet of Islam, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he's explained here that even to give uh, advice carelessly could, uh, could, 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 could be detrimental. And this is actually a betrayal of trust as well. Indeed, indeed. I mean... Uh, like you mentioned, uh, you know, carelessly giving giving advice is something that uh, is not really a, a, a for 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 a Muslim who who desires the best for for his, for his brother um, or for his Muslim for his Muslim brother or even sister. It, it's uh, you know important that we we that when when giving advice is not done carelessly, it's, it should be done with uh, there should be a great thought. Uh, you know, behind behind the matter as well. I mean, uh, even the 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 head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmad, he uh, you know elaborating on 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 the, the three issues, counseled that we should not just aspire to to uh, to to hold office within community. Rather, we we must pay the dues of service, make correct use of the office that have the ru- same rules. For friends and others, and he he said that we should have a sense of goodwill for each other and strictly adhere to this uh, system of the community and not make unnecessary protestations. And you know, one one thing I wanted to just just highlight over here is that we should we should have a sense of goodwill for each other. You know, this is something that is very crucial in this day and age because um, obviously you know being Muslims and and looking at the world as well, looking at uh, how the world what the world is going through. If everyone has this sort of sense that they want good for one another, they want good for their for their either the the Muslim brother or sister, or let's let's take religion out of it. They want good for their brother in humanity. They want good for their for their neighbors. They want good for their colleagues. They want good for the people they work work with. They want good for the people of the country or people of of um, of the world. Then of course this is the you know the the blueprint or this is the 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 pathway. To uh, you know, establishing peace. So that's one thing that when you mentioned that you know, carelessly giving advice, uh, we should um, of, of, we should also have goodwill for each other. Um, more on this um, a little bit later. We do have with us Mr. <coughs> Excuse me. We have with us Mr. Fazal Ahmed, who is uh, f- who who serves as the global operations director of the NGO Humanity First and was, and is responsible for poverty alleviation projects in sixty four countries. He has served on the board for seventeen years. His day job is a general manager of a business um, in projects building uh, hospitals across Africa and Asia. Um, Mr. Fazal Ahmed, Assalamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. 
Waalaikumsalam. Um, thank you for joining us and um, thank you for taking out time from, from your from your busy schedule um, to, to join us and talk about this very important um, topic that we have today. I'm just getting straight into it. Um, we have a few questions. How can international cooperation and, and uh, solidarity be, be strengthened to address the root cause of, of poverty and, and create a more equitable global econ- uh, economic system? I suppose... If you start with the root causes of poverty, you know, in the last four or five years, everyone has seen the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nobody could have predicted that. But we're also seeing climate change. And here we occasionally see a documentary, but I can tell you in Africa and Asia, climate change is a daily phenomenon. And a lot of that is driven by our need for resources and our waste. And then you have conflicts. And again, conflicts are largely fueled by our need for lithium, for, our, you know, for, for us to be able to change our mobile phones every three years or have new cars and technology. Mm-hmm. That directly impacts communities on the ground. And these are the things that are causing an excess of poverty now. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And, and um, I mean, I, I understand that you have visited many places, um, like, for example, Burkina Faso and, and Sierra Leone and, and maybe other places um, in Africa and, and Asia. And, you know, what, what are some of the initiatives that Humanity First has been involved in to help alleviate poverty? So I think the first thing is, that, uh, yeah, I've been to a few countries, but the people there live that experience every day. I just mm. visit every now and again. They, they have the skills themselves. Um, they need resources and training to help them to get themselves out of poverty. And that's where we start. You know, for our help to be sustainable, we need to empower them to get themselves out of poverty. And that includes education and training. It includes access to health care. It includes access to safe drinking water. It includes farming and food security projects. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> again, again, if you look at farming... There are many people doing farming out there, but not necessarily in an efficient way. And when we train them in how to do farming in a more industrial scale, not just subsistence, and how to reduce crop waste, you know, out of all of that effort they put in over so many years, 40% of their crops are wasted before they even reach the market because they don't know how to store them. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to process them. So simple bits of training suddenly transform their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's most certainly. Um, how does the, the principle of leaving no one behind align with the pursuit of the, of the UN Sustainable Development Goals? And what, what practical steps can be taken to achieve this objective? I mean, the funny thing is that we talk about leave no one behind. We are leaving people behind in the developed world in Europe, in North America, in other countries. This is where we see homelessness, we see poverty, we see yeah. you know, people really struggling. Look at Gaza. 70% of their homes have been demolished. Yeah. 70% of their schools have been demolished. Virtually all of their agriculture has been demolished. They are scrambling for bits of bread. And yet, when they find food, their first thought is, let me give some to my neighbour. Mm. Let me give some to that disabled person. So they are leaving no one behind. In Africa, the same. They look after each other. Here, we are a bit more egocentric, and we want to clear the supermarket shelves the moment we think there's going to be a shortage. So 
the, you know, mm-hmm. the principle is there, but I think it comes back to greed and you know some of the, some of the basic human traits that we have to look at ourselves. Indeed, indeed. If we if we change our behaviour, yeah. there is enough food on this planet. Indeed. There is enough food to feed well over eight billion people. It's the distribution of the food that leads to the problems. Mm, indeed, indeed. I mean, I guess it all comes back to the, like we mentioned earlier, the the, the sense of goodwill for each other is something that we, we must all have inculcate within ourselves as well so that we know that our brother in humanity who, who, who uh, you know, maybe needs, uh, is, is in more need for either water or food or, or, or anything else um, is also looked after. I mean, this is the example of the companions of the Holy Prophet as well. I mean, they there's very various narrations where they you know looked after the the rights of their their fellow uh, Muslim brothers and and you know put them before put put their brothers before themselves. So this is something that you know something which needs to be um, enacted on in, in this day and age as well. Um, in countries with high levels of poverty, uh, how can sustainable agriculture and, and rural development contribute to poverty um, alleviation and economic growth? Well, as I said, um, for decades, we assumed that they were sat there starving in Somalia, Ethiopia, waiting for us to come and feed them. That's not a sustainable model. Similarly, if you look at water, there are so many water installations in villages that aren't working anymore. The way to make a difference is for us to empower and train them and give them the resources to do things for themselves. Then it's sustainable. They will keep doing that day in, day out, and they don't need our help. We've seen many examples where the youth in Africa and Asia are so resourceful, so resourceful, they, they they know how to, for example, there was a project that we did called Desert Fridge, which is two clay pots with sand in between, and you pour water in the sand, and the evaporation makes the inside a lot cooler. You mm. could store tomatoes for 14 days. Mm-hmm. No electricity, low wow. tech. Similarly in Gaza, you know, I'm talking about Gaza because everyone is seeing that. Mm. They're not allowed construction materials. Nothing goes in. They're not allowed to develop in that way. So what they've done themselves is they've created technology to take waste and turn it into a kind of bricks. Mm-hmm. So the resourcefulness is there. Yeah. The resourcefulness is there. We just need to empower them to be able to look after themselves. Indeed, indeed. Um, Fazal Ahmed, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Um, Allah bless you for everything that you are doing. Um, and we do hope that you have a wonderful day and a blessed week ahead. Thank you, and the same to all of our listeners. And uh, if anyone wants to find out more, they can they can see our daily activities on on X or Twitter at HFI1995, or they can see our progress at our website, humanityfirst.org. Awesome. That's great. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That was Fazil Ahmed, who is uh, Global Operations Director of the NGO Humanity First and responsible for poverty alleviation projects in 64 countries. I mean, a very 
Um, interesting um, talk, uh, wouldn't you say, Summer? Yeah, no, no, most certainly, and some um, very uh, interesting ways to see the resourcefulness um, of of how people can get involved and what they can do to to better the situation globally as well. Um, there are some uh, initiatives uh, that the World Economic Forum has uh, taken. There's the Global Competitiveness uh, Report. There's a Reskilling Revolution, the Edison Alliance, a Refugee Employment Alliance. All all of these very uh, beneficial and uh, fruitful things as well. Um, one thing that I would like to share um, from His Holiness, a speech that he gave an address on the 9th of May 2016 in Copenhagen, Denmark. His Holiness, Hazim Masoor Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand. He mentioned that these days there is an inc- there's increasing fear and trepidation amongst the people of Europe due to the fact that so many refugees have entered this continent over the past year. It should be kept in mind that the vast majority of the refugees have sought shelter in the West because of the desperate cruelties and devastation they have faced in their own countries. However, the truth is that no single country and in fact no continent has the capability to absorb the millions of people who are fleeing their war-torn countries. Thus, The only solution is to formulate a genuine framework for peace in their countries of origin and to try and bring an end to the cruelty in their homelands. uh, maybe um, a little bit more on this in in a short while, if time permits. But for now, we do have with us on the line our last guest for this segment, uh, Dr. Wasim Khan who has a PhD in economics from University of California and a diploma in management science from Stanford Business School, California. Uh, he has worked in international finance, uh, financial situations in Los Angeles, uh, Washington, D.C., Abu Dhabi and London. He is also uh, uh, has a significant interest in Islamic finance and has lectured in Islamic banking to practicing bankers and government uh, officials in various places uh, throughout the globe as well. Um, Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Welcome, Assalam. Jazakallah, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we're talking about a very interesting topic, um, especially on how the world can be a better place, especially for, for, for war-torn places, for countries which are going through poverty and uh, developing countries as well. Um, the first question that I wanted to ask you was, how should leaders use the World Economic Forum as a platform to prioritize and advance initiatives related to human development, thereby rebuilding trust in economic systems? So, what's the basis for all relationships, both divine and human? Uh, We also know that in Arabic, uh, trust is called amana. So let me start with the importance of this uh, trust as described by the Holy Quran. In in Ayah 72, Surah Al-Azab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Trustworthiness is an enormous weight. Allah's great creations, such as the sky, the earth, and the mountains, are not able to carry its heaviness. That is the heaviness of trust. Because they know when they betray trustworthiness, they are to be punished severely. Mm. Now, if the earth, skies, and mountains will be punished severely if they betray Allah's trust, then where do we, human beings, stand? Have you ever wondered? This is this is the crux of the whole issue that we are currently facing in the world. If you look at the annals of history, you will find that mistrust among countries and nations has been the root cause of all wars, economic and physical destruction, and human exploitation and degradation. If you look around today, 
as you mentioned earlier on, uh, there's refugees coming from different parts of the world uh, uh, looking for a better place because they don't trust their own people, they don't trust their own governments. Um, uh, it, it, you know, you look at the military conflicts that are taking place as a result of lack of trust or the presence of mistrust. Uh, this mistrust has caused a divide between north and south, between the west and east, uh, which has resulted in a widening economic gap between the haves and the have-nots. So the question for the world's political and corporate leaders that are meeting in Davos this week as to how to build trust is a tall order. Yeah. No, no, trust? No, certainly. Yes. So in an interview yesterday, uh, the chairman of the World Economic Forum in Davos uh, stated, Borghi uh, Brandi uh, stated, we are living in a fragmented, in fractured world where there's a huge deficit of trust. Mm. How do you rebuild that trust? Trust to be rebuilt on the basis of the consistency, transparency, and accountability. In fact, there's a big deficit in all three of those. So it's going to be a tall order for the leaders, the economic and political leaders meeting in, in, in Davos today uh, this week, rather, to, to figure out how to rebuild that trust. Some of the propositions that have been there are to rebuild trust through ESG, trying to improve on climate change, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity. These are channels that will go around and people can work around these channels in the short term. But what is the long-term basis for rebuilding trust? And that is a question we need to ask. Yeah, and, and a very important question as well. And when it comes to, um, I mean, obviously this is the the, the this year's WEF uh, um, meeting in Davos. That's that's what it's all about. But talking about Islam, what what does Islam teach us on the basis uh, of what trust is? So basically, trust is the foundation and bedrock of all relationships. Yeah, our trust in Allah forms the basis of our ibadah, which is namaz, roza, and hajj, which is referred to in the Holy Quran as hakukullah, mm. and, our, and our obligation to our fellow human beings, uh, which is referred to as hakukulibad, uh, which are manifested in zakah, and its broader, all-encompassing concept, which includes all, all kinds of help and assistance provided to our fellow human beings. This is a concept that's not. So if you look at trust <clears throat> as a basis of all relationships, let me focus on the human, human side to start with. Trust uh, starts from cradle and ends at the grave. When a child is born, a bond of trust develops between the child and the parents. When the child goes to school and later to college, a trust develops between the student and teacher and between students. Mm. When the young man gets the first job, a relationship of trust develops between the employee and the employer. When the young man, when the young person gets married, a relationship of trust develops between the husband and wife. And when that person dies, there's a trust that someone will lead their last prayers and lower their body into the grave. So everything is built upon trust. Now in this chain of trust, if trust is prepared at any point, then the chain, then the chain tends of trust tends to break down. And a broken chain has no strength and no character. 
Most certainly. And I mean, trust in, in every day's uh, society is essential. I mean, if you're crossing the road and you, you have you see that it's a red light, you trust that no one will be coming uh, coming forward. And all of these other small re- examples that we can see in our day to day lives uh, as well. Um, the, the next question that I'm about to ask you is, is a bit of a lengthy one, uh, but we are we only have about a minute till the news. So just quickly, if you can tell us a little bit about uh, Riba, what what this is and how would the abolishment of this help to build Build trust as well. What are your thoughts on this? <clears throat> so, riba is interest rates, mm. and, and 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 this and interest rates have been uh, uh, basically Islam looks down on interest rates because they've been used for exploitation and usury uh, and degradation of human beings. And you can see that, that that's not only happening to individuals; it's happening to societies and happening to countries around the world. Islam replaces riba by profit and loss. So rebuilding of trust through the sanctity of contracts between the entrepreneur and the worker, the transparency of that contract. And where there's transparency of the contract, there needs to be consistency to move forward. And where there's need consistency to move forward, if that contract, the trust breaks down, there should be accountability. That's what Islam says. That's what's in this profit and loss um, uh, concept that Islam puts forth to replace riba, i.e. interest being charged. So between the trust between the capital provider and and, and the capital user, we're both held accountable in the shape of sharing profit and loss, that if I don't work properly, if I don't work sincerely as a worker, I don't get my share of the profit. And if as a capital provider, I'm not sincere to my worker, then I don't get my share of the profit. So Extrapolate this to nations globally, and, and, and we are living in the state of Medina as prescribed by the Holy Prophet. So basically, the replacement of riba by profit and loss, not just by profit and loss, but also by equity and justice, also by transparency, accountability, where both parties know exactly what they are getting into, into the contract what they're going to be doing is going to be is basically the the, the, the basis for um, for 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 a better world i would say so waffling around things like some of the leaders talk about climate change and stuff that's all fine but these are short-term patchwork uh proposals the long term is basically it's trust in allah trust in human beings uh, transparency, accountability, those kind of things are the ones that can help rebuild trust in the long term. Most certainly, definitely. And it is essential for us to to have these uh, the, these elements in our day-to-day discussions as well, um, especially when trying to tackle these big issues as well. And, and that's when we'll see uh, the benefits uh, which uh, can be derived from that. Uh, Jazakallah, thank you, uh, Dr. Wasim Khan, for, for being with us and answering our questions. We hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Uh, peace be upon you. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. That was um, Wasim Khan, Dr. Wasim Khan, who has a PhD in economics uh, from the University of California and a diploma in management science from Stanford Business School. That's all the time for today. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Um, if you are just tuning in, um, then we were talking about a very interesting topic in the first hour, uh, which was in regards to shaping tomorrow's future insights into the 54th World Economic Forum. And now we'll be speaking about the uh, Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and how he's the perfect prophet for every era. So, the legacy of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is so rich and, and unceasing that his life can be considered a guidebook for Muslims according to which they strive to live and improve their lives. And not just Muslims, but even non-Muslims have abundantly praised the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as Professor of uh, Astronomy Michael Hart ranked the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as the most influential person in history. And even the English archaeologist David George Hogarth is reported to have said no founder of a religion has been left on so solitary an eminence as the Muslim apostle, quote-unquote. In this segment, we'll be focusing on a few of the countless characteristics of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, namely eloquent humor, compassion and kindness, unwavering faith and trust in divine protection, bravery and leadership and humility as well. And this is actually a recurring theme uh, which we'll be speaking about throughout the course of this week um, on different uh, on all of the shows on Breakfast Show. Uh, everyone will be speaking about a few different uh, aspects of the Holy Prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and his life and uh, for instance for tomorrow in tomorrow's show they will be speaking about um, his righteousness charitable uh, acts patience and love to mankind um, so if you would do want to get involved uh, and listen into that then do so um, remember the Voice of Islam radio station breakfast show is from 7 to 9 on Mondays to Fridays um, Jalees the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Could you mm. give our listener a little bit of a brief life overview? Indeed, I mean, it's it's a very it's an honor to to you know speak about the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And of course, even giving a brief life you know overview, um, you know, it's 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 something that requires. Great, you know, we can dis- discuss this in great length or in, in hours. But just briefly, um, if I can just uh, mention some points about him. Uh, so basically, the Holy Prophet, he was born in in Mecca, as we all know, in in 570 um, AD. His name is Muhammad, uh, means which means the the praised one. Now, at the time of his birth, the majority of the Arabia, uh, you know. <coughs> Followed, you know, polytheistic religion, despite tracing the descent to the monotheistic teacher Abraham. The Arabs Arab believed that certain individuals had a special connection with God and and could intercede on behalf of others, and this led to them to combine, you know, idol worshiping and practices such as that with, with, uh, um, with reverence for 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 Abraham. And in Mecca, where the Prophet was born, people worshipped idols and 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 various other figures. And offering sacrifices to please God through them. Now, despite the the illogical and, and primitive nature of this belief, the Meccans were were unfazed. Now, by the time of the Holy Prophet's birth, the the Holy Kaaba, which is you know the the where all Muslims uh, today, where we all 
pray towards, we, 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 we face towards the Holy Qabr when we offer our five daily prayers. At that time, the, the Holy Qabr at that time was housed with 360 idols. Now this shows, this just goes to show the, the, the environment that the Holy Prophet was in when he, when he was born and, and when he grew up, that the sacred house was housed by, by 360 idols, which were the Meccans at that time would, would worship. Now, the, the moral contradictions characterized by, by the Arabs at that time, the, 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 they exhibited extreme moral defects such as excessive drinking, right? Drinking, for example, at times even five times a day, you know, they, they would drink, you know, considering uh, and they used to consider being drunk a, virtu- a virtue. Gambling was another national sport um, you know, which, which elevated to fine art, and and winners were expected to entertain others in times of wars. You know, funds were raised through gambling parties. You know, resembling you know, contemporary parties like like prize bonds, and and in the Arab society described, women had no status or even even rights, and it was considered. It was at that time was it the 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 idol worshippers. They considered it honourable practice to to infanticide you know particularly putting baby girls to death you know however this practice was not widespread across the entire country it was confined to specific families you know families engaged in in infanticide may might have had an you know exaggerated sense of social status or, or faced um, other constraints such as uh, uh, difficulty finding suitable matches for their daughters leading them to resort to killing female in- incidents uh, in- in- uh, infants now all of this uh, is is important to understand the background of how, how the Holy Prophet uh, in in the environment in which he grew up in. Um, you know, when when the Holy Prophet was around uh, twenty five years of age, he gained a reputation for a reputation for for integrity and and empathy in Mecca. Uh, you know, a wealthy widow named Khadija, uh, who uh, who later on became his, his the Holy Prophet's wife, she approached the the, the Prophet's uncle Abu Talib. You know, seeking his his nephew to to lead a, car, a trading caravan to Syria. Now the the expedition was highly successful, and and Khadija impressed by the prophet's leadership. And and at that, at this time he, he he was not appointed as a prophet of God yet. Of course, he was appointed as a prophet of God uh, by the time uh, when he reached the age of forty, around forty. But when he was around twenty five, this this incident takes place, and the expedition, like I said, was highly successful. And and, and Khadija was impressed by the prophet's leadership and character, and considered him an ideal match. And she sent a friend to propose. Uh, proposed marriage and and despite initial reservations, the prophet agreed after assurances uh, were given. Now, uh, there's there's a lot there's there's a lot more that you know that we can talk about uh, for for the about the holy prophet. But just because we are going we are speaking about his 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 character and his characteristics characteristics and his eloquent humor, it's important to know that the background in in the environment that he grew up in. Can you imagine just for a second that? A, an environment, a place where they are fully worshipped, uh, where they fully worship idols, where the belief of the oneness of God is nowhere to be seen. Um, you know, where, like we mentioned, like where gambling and drinking is prevalent. Um, in, in such a place, th- there is a man, uh, you know, Prophet Muhammad, who 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 was completely opposite to his people, who desired to seclude himself um, from all these things and seclude himself and and worship Allah Almighty alone. And in in the Hadith, we find that. That he, his his uh, before prior to the the first revelation that was revealed to him of the Holy Quran, he would re- he would receive 
uh, you know, dreams that would come true. And this sort of uh, inculcated with him the the uh, the 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 habit or the the not habit, but the the love for or the desire for you know going um, into seclusion and, and worshiping uh, Allah uh, Almighty. Um, of course, when when the Prophet was over th- uh, thirty, he developed a deep 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 love um, with with regards to 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 worship, like I mentioned. And if we go to when he when he the the first revelation that was revealed to him, we know that at the age of forty, uh, you know, uh, he he was in the the mount uh, in the cave of Hira, um, which is just a few miles away from uh, from where 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 he he would live, and he would go there for many days and take provision with him. Um, and his his wife has a Khadija would give him. Some provision, he would go there and remember Allah Almighty, uh, remember God in seclusion. And we know at that it was in this cave where he received the first revelation, where the angel Gabriel came to the Prophet and revealed to him to uh, you know recite um, in the name of Thy Lord. And and uh, at that time, we know that the uh, Pro- the Holy Prophet was, said that he 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 was not able to read. And uh, the, the famous story, uh, the the famous incident that all muslims are aware you know goes on and this mind you was in the month of ramadan which we believe that the holy quran was revealed in the month of ramadan and when the holy prophet received this this revelation he he was he was at that time um you know he he was uh, he, he when when he came home he 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 asked his wife to 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 wrap him and and to wrap him with a with a blanket as he was feeling cold at that time he came home and he was he was quite uh, uh frightened uh with the, with the incident that had happened um and uh, you know at that time the 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 wife of the holy prophet he, she took him to one of her cousins um who Warqa bin Nawfal we know from the history um who of course at that time was a uh, also a person who believed in the one, oneness of of God Almighty and when the Prophet mentioned to him what he had seen. And mind you, at that time, Warqa bin Nawfal was a person who the Arabs used to come to, to for when they wanted to interpret some dreams that they had seen. So when the the Holy Prophet, when the Holy Prophet had come uh, come to him, he explained to him the what had happened. And at this, it was at this time that uh, Warqa bin Nawfal said to him that um, this was the same angel that came that came to Prophet Moses. And you know, of course, the, the 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 very famous story does go on, and it is very it's a beautiful narration, and I would encourage everyone to read this narration. It can be found in um, the Hadith book Sahih Bukhari in the first chapter as well. Um, before we do go into talking about uh, more of the Holy Prophet's background and, and his life and his eloquent humor and his character characteristics, we do have with us um, our first guest uh, for this topic, who's Mr. Bilal At- um, Atkinson. He um, is the president of the Hartlepool uh, branch of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association UK. Um, Mr. Bilal Atkinson, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Wa alaikum salam and good morning to you and your listeners. Oh, thank you for joining us and thank you for being with us um, and speaking about such a very important uh, topic and of course speaking about our beloved uh, Prophet and uh, Master, the Holy Prophet. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, of course, the first question that I'd like to ask you is if you can provide a couple of instances where the, the Holy Prophet demonstrated patience during challenging times or afflictions. 
The uh, Holy Prophet Muhammad was sent by God for the whole of mankind. And as such, had to display in his words and deeds the best example the true Muslim must follow in order to achieve a high stage of righteousness and seeking the pleasure of God. In fact, Almighty God addresses him in the Holy Quran and states, and endure thou with patience. And verily thy patience is possible only with the help of Allah. And grieve not for them, for they feel distressed because of their plots. The Holy Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi was always very patient in adversity. He was never discouraged by adverse circumstances, nor did he permit any personal desires to overcome him. He always held himself under complete control, and he always listened to everybody with patience. And if a person was impertinent to him, he never attempted any sort of retaliation. He patiently and steadfastly faced the most brutal persecution and hostility from his own people. He was the first Muslim to be attacked, verbally and physically, not once but many times. He was stoned, starved and ridiculed, and his followers were beaten and even cruelly murdered. There were many plots to murder him, and his enemies continued their efforts to destroy Islam and its adherents. All of these attacks proved unsuccessful, and throughout this harrowing period of suffering, the Holy Prophet continued his mission with patience and remarkable steadfastness. Indeed, indeed. I mean, such a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, uh, character we see in the Holy Prophet. Of course, he was the, the uh, as Allah Almighty mentions the Holy Quran, he was the the Uswai uh, Hasana, who was a perfect example for all Muslims and all, all human beings, in fact, to follow. And we know that through following the the example of the Holy Prophet, we can indeed attain the love of Allah Almighty as well. Um, how did? The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, interact with individuals of different faiths, particularly with Christians. Um, the Holy Prophet not only emphasized the desirability of tolerance in religious matters, but he set a very high standard in this respect. Um, a deputation, including several church dignitaries from the Christian tribe of Nijran, visited him in Medina to exchange views on religious matters. And the meeting was held in the Prophet's mosque and extended over several hours. And during this time, the leader of the deputation asked permission to take leave to hold their religious services at some other convenient place. But the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that there was no need to go out to the mosque, which was a place dedicated to the worship of God, and they could hold their own services in it. But there are many examples of tolerance in the life and teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam. For instance, he um, prepared a charter of freedom for the Christians of Najran, which still holds true to this day for all Christians. Among other edicts, the charter guarantees Christians protection of their lives, their property and their religion. It stipulates that their churches should not be violated and should not be pulled down in order to build a mosque on the site, for instance. It gives freedom to Christian women to marry Muslims and that they should be free to observe their own faith. It admonishes Muslims to render assistance to Christians if they need help in repairing their place of worship. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, the best expression of perfect faith is that other people are always protected by our power and live in peace. 
the best Islam or religion is that people are safe from us, that we never harm them with our hands or our tongue. Indeed, such uh, beautiful words, and and uh, so, th- indeed these these the words of the Holy Prophet are so um, you know they they are, they are things that all Muslims in this day and age really think about and really try their best to to act upon because of course if we do um, if if Muslims around the world do claim to be the follower of of this noble and and greatest prophet of course that should then highlight and show uh, within their own characteristics as well of course being the the follower of the greatest uh, prophet of all of mankind um just moving on to the the next question uh, one of the character- characteristics of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him were, were, were the, the ones that we we're, we're talking about today is is kindness uh, the one that we'll be talking about as well uh, can can you highlight some examples of the Holy Prophet's uh, kind treatment um, towards his his companion uh, to, to, towards his companions and his wives? Um, well, first of all, the Holy Prophet says, "The best among you is he who is the best in his treatment of his wife, and I am the best of you in the treatment of my family." For instance, his wife Hadrat Aisha, may God be pleased with her, narrates that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, helped her in her daily household chores. All this over and above his duties to the whole of mankind as a prophet of God. He mended his own clothes and shoes. He went himself to fetch water for his uh, use and would never seek help in any of these matters. No household work was too lowly for him. And he's reported to have said, the most perfect in faith amongst you is he who is most courteous, and the best among you is he who is best in the treatment of his wife. The man, or the more a man is good to his wife, the greater shall be his value before God. In one particular incident, um, I relate to his wife, Maimuna. She met the Prophet for the first time in a tent in the desert. Now, if the Prophet had preferred some wives to others because of their physical charms, Maimuna would not have cherished her first meeting with the Prophet as a great memory. If a marriage with the Prophet had been associated with unpleasant or indifferent memories, she would have forgotten everything about it. Hazrat Maimuna lived long after the Prophet's death. She died full of years, but could not forget what a marriage with the Prophet had been for her. And on the eve of her death at the age of 80 years, when the delights of the flesh had forgotten, when things only of lasting value and virtue move the heart, he has to be buried at one day's journey from Mecca, at the very same spot where the Prophet, peace be upon him, had camped on his return to Medina, and where she had first met him. And the world knows many stories of love, both real and fiction, but few which are as wholesome and moving as this. This is pretty short. Indeed, indeed. Um, just, just, just lastly, could you share examples of how the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, demonstrated forgiveness, in, and in, in what ways could the lessons from these instances influence our current approach to forgiveness and, and the promotion of tolerance in today's um, today's world? Well, I think um, after years of persecution, 
The Holy Prophet set out from Medina with 10,000 of his own followers towards Mecca. And of course, the Meccans were completely astonished at the sight of those 10,000 holy men out on the outskirts of the city. Despite the Muslims' long years of suffering, torture and tyranny at the hands of the Meccans, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, pardoned all of them and urged his followers to do likewise. And hearing the Meccans plead for mercy, he said, By God, you will have no punishment today and no reproof. And so he forgave all those who opposed him and continued to propagate the teachings of Islam. Those once barbarous people were transformed into civilized, God-fearing Muslims who deeply loved this prophet of God. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, on his last pilgrimage to Mecca, he addressed thousands of his devoted followers at Mount Arafat. And in part of his sermon, he said, Allah has made you brethren one to another, so be not divided. An Arab has no preference over a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab over an Arab. Nor is a white one to be preferred to a dark one, nor a dark one to a white one. In other words, we are all equal in the sight of God. We should treat each other with equality, with love, truth, and absolute justice. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, delivered the message of true, true democracy and spiritual equality. The gist of his message was that all men and women, whatever nation or tribe they belong to, and whatever station in life they may hold, are all equal, and that they should treat each other with equality, with love, with truth, and absolute justice. None should be discriminated against, neither on the basis of color or background. And consequently, people are entitled to enjoy all fundamental human freedoms, freedoms without any form of segregation. These are the measures for durable peace and security that Islam presents. Otherwise, no matter how many United Nations Security Councils are formed, durable peace cannot be maintained, and the reason for failure is lack of true justice. All in all, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was the personification of the true peace that is Islam. The legacy he left mankind was the Holy Quran, its sayings and its actions, which are the foundations of Islam. So peace is the name of Islam, the meaning of Islam, the identity of Islam. If only the people of the world can follow the Holy Prophet's advice and example, there will be that true peace, goodwill, and true justice that everyone is longing for. But the greatest tribute to Muhammad comes from Almighty God. Regarding the character of the Holy Prophet, God says, Verily, you have in the Prophet of Allah an excellent model for him who hopes to meet Allah on the last day, and who remembers Allah much. Indeed, indeed. So it's such a beautiful, uh, very beautifully put. And if, of course, if only the world can truly follow and act upon the teachings of the Holy Prophet and try to, you know, uh, um, because of course, uh, like you mentioned, the Holy Quran has also said that he is the, the, the perfect example for mankind. So we do pray that uh, that we we can fully act upon the teachings of the Holy Prophet, try to be like the Holy Prophet so that, of course, we can attain Allah Almighty's love and grace as well. Um, thank you very much for answering our questions. Thank you very much for being with us. Um, and we uh, we hope to uh, 
um, hear again from you soon, of course, and we hope that you have a lovely day and a beautiful and blessed week ahead. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you very so, much. Wa alaikum That was Bilal Actinson, who's the president of the Hartipool branch of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association UK. Hmm. Some some very interesting and notable features of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that we've learnt about uh, during that discussion uh, with uh, Mr. Bilal Atkinson, um, in which he beautifully explained the characteristics of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, we're we're talking about the the different uh, characteristics and and just specifying just a few because obviously uh, there's so many that can be spoken about and we have actually dedicated to the whole week to this as well. Um, but uh, but in any case, even in today's society, although at a very <coughs> a small scale, especially if you if you were to compare it to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, be the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. I mean, there's no comparison uh, whatsoever. Um, but we can find um, uh, small pieces and glimpses of uh, of uh, of information. In this regard, uh, for instance, being humble, uh, being a new, good New Year's resolution, there's uh, Anna Katharina speaks about that. Um, the quality of compassion. Northern Ireland's uh, peace builders call for compassionate leadership uh, to fulfil the promise of uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Um, there's how uh, there's articles on schools and how they're transforming behaviour with compassionate, within a compassionate approach. Um, Elizabeth Line, the uh, the rail uh, rail worker Rizwan Javed, honoured for saving 29 lives. An MBA uh, MBE was actually awarded to him um, because of uh, the lives that he saved. There's there's also a quality of leadership that we can see. Justin Welby, political leader. Uh, says uh, that she, political leaders should treat opponents as human beings, um, and there's also the quality of humor as well, which we'll be addressing in the characteristics of the of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And a recent article that we can see in this regard is how the global chief executive of uh, BBDO uh, is demonstrating a sincere commitment to introduce reintroduce more humor into creative uh, advertising as well. Um, Let's uh, uh, let's uh, let's let's speak a little bit more about the Holy Prophet, uh, of course. Um, his character embodied the teachings of the Quran. He not only preached the principles, but also lived by them. The name Muhammad, as you mentioned earlier as well, translates to the praised one, a term reflected in the Holy Quran, which states Allah sends down his blessings on the Prophet and his angels pray for him. O ye who believe, you too should invoke God's blessings on him and salute him with salutation of peace. And this is taken from chapter 33, verse 57 of the Holy Quran. And also in another occasion, uh, chapter 9, verse 128, it states that surely a messenger has come unto you from among yourselves. Grievous to him is that you should fall into trouble. He is ardently desirous of your welfare. And to the believers... He is compassionate, merciful. I mean, Jadis, I think even this one verse alone shows us the great qualities of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that he, he is compassionate and merciful to, to, to the believers and he is an ardent desirer of the welfare of, uh, of even those people who are opposing him. Mm. And this just goes to show 
the 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 characteristic and the the, the noblest of uh, characters that we see uh, and that is the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh, we are so very fortunate uh, that we do have with us on the line our next guest for 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 the show a very uh, eminent figure uh, within the ahmadiyya muslim community uh, imam ataul mujib rashid who's served as missionary uh, as a missionary over here in the uk from 1970 to 1973 uh focusing on the the upbringing um of the of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the spreading of Islam's message as well he later served in Japan for almost a decade and then in 1983 he became the missionary in charge of Britain and has been serving as a missionary in charge ever since. Um, also the Imam of uh, Fazl Mosque and since 2014 he has held the position of subordinate national president uh, of UK as well. He's had the honour of welcoming uh, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, in 1984 and served under special instructions for 19 years. Uh, actively participating in question-answer sessions and he initiated peace conferences addressing misconceptions about Islam in various areas as well. Um, like I said, very honoured uh, to have you on with us. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. You're, you're very so, welcome. Uh, and what would you like me to, to say? We 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 would like to you to, to to speak a little bit about the character of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We're talking okay. about different aspects uh, of his life, and and the first question that I wanted to ask you for the benefit of our listener is if you can kindly give us uh, some examples whereby the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he exemplified love and kindness uh, for his companions, please. Yes, a very important subject. Thank you very much for picking it up. The fact is that uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, the messenger of Allah Almighty for the whole mankind, he was a person personified as a symbol of mercy and kindness. There is a verse in the Holy Quran which says, that we have sent you just for this purpose, that you can demonstrate your love and affection for the whole of mankind. So he was a global messenger. His uh, mercy and kindness extends to the end of the world. So therefore, he was kind to everyone. Just to briefly to say, he was not only kind to his own people, to his own followers, but even he was an, a very kind and courteous and uh, affectionate to his enemies as well. Enemies are enemies, but mm. so far as kindness is concerned, that was over, always overwhelming. Regarding the kindness of uh, the Holy Prophet wasallam uh, to his companion, I would like to mention certain points that he always partake, partook in the activities of the community. For example, when he was engaged in defensive battle, he had to fight in defense. So at that time, he was walking and uh, working along with his companions. For example, on one occasion, they were digging a trench around Medina to be protected from the attack of the enemy. So the companions, they were not having full food in order to suppress the hunger. 
they sometimes tied some stones to their bellies. Mm. So one companion came and he complained that, Oh Prophet, we don't have enough to eat. Look at me. I have tied one stone to my belly to suppress the stomach so that I can feel less hunger. That was moving occasion. The Holy Prophet rolled up his shirt slightly upward and showed the people and what the people saw was there were two stones tied to the belly of the Holy Prophet. So it was so affectionate to the people and very, very kind and enduring all the hardships along with his companions, not above them. There is a moving story that I would like to share and that whenever I relate, I am overwhelmed by that. A very old lady, he, she came to the Prophet along with her child. The child was very uh, weak and uh, very uh, sick. She said that, uh, O oh Prophet, the sickness of this child is so grave now, it has become so much painful that I wish that you pray that this child should die now. That will be the end of the, uh, his problem and suffering. Look at the graciousness and the mercy of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He said that, O oh lady, I respect your request, but do you not wish that I should pray that your child should recover, become healthy instead of dying? Mm -hmm. So why don't you ask me that I should pray for that? Anyway, the Holy Prophet ﷺ prayed for that lady. And, uh, but the mother was saying that it was very difficult for me, but uh, the uh, Prophet was so gracious and kind to his companions and his progeny that he said uh, that I will pray. And he did pray, and the child recovered and went back ill and hearty. Mm -hmm. Another example which comes to my mind is the treatment to the people whom normally we call servant the servant, the service boy in the houses, a slave sometime who are put into the custody of other people. There was a young person with the name of Zed. He, he became associated to the Prophet as a, you can call, people can call him servant, but first he was a loving companion mm. of the Holy Prophet And the Prophet loved him so much that always looking after him, loving him, caring him, giving him the advice and prayer and every, every love. So much so that when after a long while, the parents of Hadrat Zayd, they somehow came to know that our son is in the custody of the Prophet, is living with him. So they came to the Holy Prophet and requested him that yes, this boy who is serving you uh, he is actually our son. So would you like to give him the permission to go with us and be away from you? The Holy Prophet wasallam, looking at the request of the parents, he said, by all means, he is your son. So you have all the right to take it with you, if you like. And as you have requested, I am in full agreement with that. Then he asked her, that, that person, do you like to go uh, with your parents? 
Now look at the reply. Hazrat Sayyid said that, O Prophet, you are so kind and so loving to me that I would not like to go with my parents. I would prefer to be in your company, in your service, rather than going with my parents. But the Holy Prophet said that, yes, you can go if you like. So you can imagine, mm. this was the attitude of kindness, love and affection with the companion that he loved her. He uh, was always in the service of all the men and women and uh, children who were along with him to serve him. But as a matter of fact, he was the greatest person to serve. Mm. As he himself has mentioned, Sayyidul Qawme Khadimu, that your leader is that who serves you. So that he was the really embodiment of the saying. He was the leader, but he was the, the most uh, humble servant of all his people and greatest lover of all of them. Most certainly. Most certainly. I mean, if, for the benefit of our listener, it, it, just to put in perspective, this was an era, this was a time in which uh, slaves uh, were treated as absolutely nothing. Um, people wouldn't give them any any food and they'd be out in the sun working all day without any water. But the, the, the way that you explained the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so lovingly he would treat Hazrat Zaid, may Allah be pleased with him, that yes. he, he wanted to stay with him even though his parents had come to, 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 yes, to get yes. him. Um, very beautiful. Zakla, thank you, you for that. You can just imagine, you know, all the viewers and listeners, they can see that what was the situation? Father is there, asking the son to come with him. And he's saying, no, I would like to prefer to stay here. Mm. He is much more gracious to me than even my parents. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Such such a loving character, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, yes. may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, on top of this, another characteristic that we would like you to enlighten our listener about is his eloquent humor. Could you maybe give us some some anecdotes uh, or examples that reflect the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of, of Allah, um, uh, in, in regards to his sense of humor or, or moments of lightheartedness, please? Well, I think uh, there are so many examples. Mm. The Holy Prophet, wasallam, the Prophet of Islam, he was a great personality, very, very great person. I don't find enough words to explain that one. He had all the beauties which can be imagined or visualized by people to have. And the Holy Prophet was having all of that. So he was very kind, very gracious, merciful, as I told you. Simply, he was a very simple person. He was very close to his followers. He was not like a you know, tyrant, a king, a ruler, who is considered him to be very above his uh, subject. He was from them, and he lived with them, along with them, and did so many things together. Digging of the ditch, I give you the example. Mm-hmm. The Holy Prophet was always coming with that. Coming to this aspect, that he was a very, a very, very sweet in language, soft-hearted, soft-worded statement he used to make. And he used to enjoy the company of his companion. In some time, light-hearted jokes were also there. And uh, always he was, uh, you know, talking to them in a very uh, affectionate way. Mm. Uh, this uh, one example comes to my mind is that somebody came to him once that he said, O Prophet of Allah, 
he was not a, a, a perhaps a muslim non muslim somebody people used to come to beg for certain things somebody came and he asked that give me a, a camel i would like to beg for a camel so the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam out of his very uh, soft and humorous nature he asked uh, his companions that give this uh, man it's uh, oft born you know the uh, uh, what you call the uh, the not full, full camel full grown camel but a child camel you can say this word is is applicable a child camel a small a newly born um, camel should be given to them that person immediately said oh prophet no i want a full grown camel so that i can use it i can ride on that one so the whole holy prophet further laughed he said don't you think that every camel was once a small camel and then it grew up so every camel is like that so i'm just uh, lightheartedly saying <laughs> that give him something small it will grow later on <laughs> and it will, it was like that so every time he was very very courteous and kind and respectful and also caring for the his uh, companions some of the time it, it is mentioned that uh, he was not a man of who used to live out away from his companion rather within the companion working together in one expedition when the people were traveling prof was also along with him with them at a certain point they stopped and they started to prepare the food so they divided the responsibilities that somebody would burn the fire somebody would cook somebody would cut the trees and this and that mm-hmm. so the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam immediately said you haven't given me you have not assigned me any duty i assign my own duty that i will go to jungle and cut the branches of the tree which are available in desert so i will bring it so that we can make a fire out of that mm-hmm. so he went and personally brought those branches and twigs and the fire was uh, prepared to cook the food so in this way he was always not living away from his people these people were so devoted to the prophet even ready to lay down their lives but the prophet was not far away from them he always lived with them among them serving along with them and always sometime taking upon himself a responsibility that okay you do this thing i will do like that mm-hmm. while going on journey it is mentioned that he used to uh, ride on camel and also his uh, servant our companions they would also travel with him and sometime if if it is not possible for two so one would get down one will walk one will walk and one should write so the holy prophet used sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to take turn all the time that it is now your turn to ride i will walk by the camel and i i will ride and you walk by the camel so he did not consider himself at all that he is far above although he was the prophet the final prophet of god almighty for the whole of mankind the most closest person to god almighty most favorite but he did not he was a very humble in nature and always he considered him and give him be a lesson to the 
old followers that Sayyidul Qawmin Khadimuhun, that your chief is that who is serving you. And he was full embodiment of that. Hmm. I mean, it, it beautifully shows us uh, and illustrates this image for us in which we should be emulating this and copying this in our day-to-day lives as well. It's not just about uh, listening to these instances, but also listening to them, understanding them, and then incorporating them within our own lives. This hadith, this narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that you just mentioned of serving um, the people that you that you are a leader of. This is a characteristic which we are lacking in today's society. This is a, a, a thing where we see that world leaders, government heads and all of these other um, bodies as well, they always try to, they, they, they make themselves the leaders and then everyone else is under them. But you, as you've explained so beautifully, the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is to serve these people and, and, and be as if you are just one of them. And this beautifully just shows us uh, the difference uh, between a true leader and the leaders, uh, the so-called leaders that we see today. Um, another question that I want to ask you, um, if you allow, is in regards to the world today that we see, we, we, we see that a lot of injustice is, is rampant in today's society. Through the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how can we learn the principles of justice and how did he himself uphold justice as well? Well, I think there's another glorious aspect of the life of the Holy Prophet of Islam. He was a man, he was a prophet who was established to establish the peace and equality of mankind. This equality of mankind is something very important and a highlight of the life of the Prophet of Islam. He did not uh, hate anyone. There were people, Bedouins and uh, other people belonging to the desert, the poor people, humble people, without much clothes on them. But he never ever hated anyone. Always brought them together and loved them and uh, looked after them. So in this respect, his example is very, very uh, outstanding. And uh, the treatment of the people was always equal. He was a man of justice. So much so that it is reported in one place that uh, uh, there are certain punishments which are given to uh, certain people who break the law and the punishment has to be given to them. So uh, at one occasion, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is reported to have said that if that certain mistake is made even by my daughter, God forbid, I will be able to, I will be ready to give the same punishment to my daughter. Although it, it never happened, there was no such question because the children of the Holy Prophet and the companions, they were always abiding the law. But just by way of example, he mentioned that even if it comes to that, that something is done bad. So the equal treatment will be given to my own family members, not to speak of other my companions. Of course, everybody is equal in the sight of law. So that is that was the aspect and that was the character of the Holy Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he was always equal in treatment to all the people and establishing the, the supremacy of justice that was the hallmark of the noble character of the Holy Prophet of Islam. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's, it's so so beautiful to 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 listen to these instances and and examples of the Holy Prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, so that we can try to copy this uh, in our day to day lives as well. Uh, this is such a topic that we can speak about on uh, for for hours on end. It's 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 the most uh, yeah, it's the dearest topic to us as as Muslims. Um, speaking, yes. Is that in uh, voice of Islam, the time is always limited. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, like I was I was just saying as well. We would have loved to have you on for for much longer. Uh, and speak about uh, the the perfect uh, embodiment of the Holy Quran through the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, but unfortunately, time has gotten the better of us. Um, uh, one thing that I would like to share with our listener as well is that when we we believe as Muslims that when we talk about godly things, especially things like the Holy Prophet Muhammad uh, and his character, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then angels descend upon that gathering as well. So. Uh, 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 um, if you can just tell us about this, maybe this narration, and share with our listeners the the, the, the benefits that they are reaping just by listening to this discussion as well. I think uh, yes, you are you are quite right. This was another beautiful aspect of the life of the Holy Prophet of Islam. When he was very kind, very courteous, very uh, inspiring to the audience, the people used to gather around him. Just like the bees, they get around uh, the nest where they have to prepare the uh, 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 honey. Honey, the honey is prepared. Mm -hmm. So they used to come very close to him as that. So the Holy Prophet was all, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was always very courteous. He respected. There is one saying which comes to my mind at this time. He said once, that if a leader of any nation comes to you, then you have to honor him. Mm. So this was the magnanimity of his character. I remember when I was in Japan, the Pope, uh, the Christian Pope, happened to visit that. Mm. So almost uh, among all the Muslims living in Japan, I was fortunately, by Allah's grace, the first person to welcome him oh. in a way that I wrote a letter in Japan Times, which was published, welcoming the Pope to Japan. And some Muslims were very surprised that how come you welcome him? I, I, uh, my reply was, I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet. He said that when an honorable leader comes to you, you offer him all the hospitality and honor. Mm. So he was always very, very kind. And that is the rule and principle of a peaceful world that the people are uh, imagining to achieve. Actually, the secret of world peace lies in following the teaching of Islam and following and emulating the character of the Holy Prophet That is the Uswai Hasana, the best example which has been provided to mankind. And if people follow his teaching, and follow his noble example. I can assure all the listeners that there will definitely be peace and peace and peace everywhere all over the world. Very beautiful. Uh, Jazakallah, thank you. 
uh, Imam Adal Mujib Rashid, uh, for, 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 for being with us, for answering our questions uh, and sharing this this huge uh, uh, um, array of knowledge uh, in regards to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, that you've spoken about as well. Uh, like I said, there's something that we can speak about for hours and hours, but unfortunately, time has gotten the better of us. Uh, Jazakallah once again, and we hope you have a, a wonderful day ahead uh, and a week as well. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Jazakallah. As salamu alaykum. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was um, a, a huge honour uh, to, to be able to speak with Imam Atal Mujib Rashid, uh, who served um, as a missionary here in the UK from nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy three, and then in Japan for almost a decade. And from since nineteen eighty three, he has been the missionary in charge uh, over here in. Um, England as well uh, um, like I said a huge honour and so many uh, b- uh, b- beneficial instances and stories that we've heard um, from him as well um, Jalice there's not that much time left uh, maybe if you can just share one or maybe two uh, instances of of his eloquent humour uh, that I'm sure uh, it will be a, a beautiful way to wrap up today's show Indeed, of course. Obviously, as we've we've heard many things about the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his 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 uh, his character is something that shines very bright in some of that we always try to emulate as well. And when we talk about his 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 character, we also one one character which may not be very much known is is he also had an eloquent humor, like you mentioned as well. And um, you know, there's one one narration where his wife, um, you know, Hazrat Aisha, she she reported, she narrated that that the, the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was very witty and used to say that Allah is not displeased with a person of true wit. And she she, she further in another narration, she says that the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had a humorous nature and and would always be smiling and cheerful in the house. Um, just one uh, brief, brief, um, uh, brief thing that I'd like to mention is that he, his his humor was 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 uh, of such nature that it would cause the people around him to become joyful and happy as well. And there's one narration where there uh, where his his humor would be of that type, which is, for example, he would sometimes call his companions, "Oh, you with two ears." Now this is something that is a, it's an obvious fact and everyone knows that we will have two ears but in such a loving manner he he would say it in that it was it would it would make the heart delighted that the prophet he is is remember, the companion would feel that the prophet is remembering me in such a way and and is talking to me in such a joyful manner that uh, that it it it, it, it in a, in a way it it you know pulls the persons towards the holy prophet and the love in 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 return grows as well um, of course, this is a topic that we can talk on for very uh, long, uh, for much, much longer, uh, for hours and hours. But uh, of course, the time is getting the better of us as well. Mm, most certainly. I mean, some some superb uh, qualities of the Holy Prophet. And, and um, we, uh, we would have loved to speak more on this. Uh, but if you did enjoy this conversation and this discussion today, then like I said earlier as well, this is a recurring theme for this whole week. Uh, so make sure you do stay tuned and listen in to The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. That's all that we have time for today. Jazakallah and assalamu alaikum.